Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be with you all. Um, a couple of things before I get into the message. Um, and this may be different for, for some of you, and, and that's okay. Um, a little stretching. Um, we, I believe that God still speaks to us. That God is, is, has things to say to us, and, and there's many ways that God does that. Um, through his word is, is one of the primary ways, but God continues to show us things and reveal things to us. And, and, um, and every once in a while, um, the Lord speaks and, and shows things, and, and I think that those things... People share those things with me, and I think they need to be heard um, by everybody. And, and so um, Jess is going to come up here and share. She came and shared something that she felt like she saw the Lord gave her, and I, th- I think we all need to see it. And, um, and so there you go. She doesn't want to be up here and doing this, by the way, but I'm grateful that she's willing to do it. So many of you know that I usually have a kind of interestingly visual relationship with God. Um, so like we kind of, I feel like when we pray, when I talk with him, um, I see things. So I'm just a very visual person and that's how he speaks to me. So what I saw this morning while we were worshiping was this, um, really thick, beautiful, um, fog, like big, thick fog vapor cloud that came in and swept through the sanctuary and everybody was singing and praising and glorifying God. And as we breathed in, we couldn't help but breathe in this vapor. And as we breathed in this gold shimmering vapor um, that was the Holy Spirit, our eyes started to glow red. And everywhere we, oh my gosh, I said red, gold. Um, <laughs> they glowed gold. And everywhere we looked, we, um, like gold was illuminated where we looked. And um, it was like looking through and seeing things in the way that God intends them to be seen. And I felt like the message for that part is um, to encourage everybody as they go about the rest of the day, as they go about this week, that when you look at your coworker, when you look at your spouse, when you look at your kiddos, your really difficult family member, when you look in the mirror and you look at yourself, what you see might look a little different. Embrace that, encourage that, and speak into that, go into that, because that's probably what God is wanting you to see. That's the looking through things with his eyes. And as we breathed out, as we breathed in the vapor and then breathed it out, um, our tongues turned gold. And so as we see these things through um, the eyes of the Lord, speak that encouragement, speak the things that are coming up and bubbling up from your heart. So um, if you feel like, oh, this person popped in my head, I feel like I need to give them a call. I feel like I need to text them. I'm walking by this rando person. I have no idea who it is, but I feel like they need to know this, this word. Um, I just want to speak encouragement and courage and bravery into stepping out in that super awkward space um, and speaking that love because it's a message that may not resonate in your heart, but it might resonate in theirs. And they would need that. Amen. So I just want to encourage everybody in that today. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. 
<clears throat> during this week, um, during a time of prayer, I felt like the Lord kind of prompted me to start, even before the message started, um, to give an invitation to people. And, and I, so I want to honor that, and I want to do this right now, and it might feel strange or awkward, and that's okay, but if, if there's a stirring in your heart right now, um, pay attention to that and listen to that, and, and don't worry about what other people think or, or, or any of that stuff. It's, it's like we're going to be, for a moment together, we're going to be like that, uh, what's that purple gym place called? Well, there's judgment-free zone. That's what this is going to be. It's going to be a judgment-free zone. So if you're here this morning and you feel distant from God, if you feel a disconnect, if you feel frustration, if you feel like you've run away and you're wanting to come back, what I want to do is I want to invite you to stand up and I want to pray for you right now. Um, just wherever you are, just go ahead and stand, and I want to bless you, and I want to pray over you. So if that's you, if you have that stirring in your heart right now, I just want to invite you to stand up. We want to bless you this morning. We have a God that stands in the roadway, looking down the street, waiting for his children to come home. And when he sees them, no matter who they are or what they've done or any of those things, he runs to them with open arms, with forgiveness and with love and grace and compassion and mercy. And that is, that is who God is and that is always who God will be. That is the Father. That is the greatest image that we have of who God is in the scriptures. And we see that in Jesus as he goes to different places and goes to different people. So I want to pray. I want to invite you just to hold your hands out and receive this blessing. invite you to pray after me. Father, I stand here and I long to feel your love. I want to be restored with you and bring, bring, bring me back into your house. I thank you that you love me, that you stand and wait for me. Lord, forgive me of all my sins and restore me in right relationship with you. Father, would you bless me? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to come upon me and touch me? Would you encourage me with your love, your grace, and your mercy? And from this point on, I want to live for you. And I want to choose you above all things. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> there, uh, I want to share a brief story. There was a, um, an, an older couple who went to the Holy Land to, to go and, and to walk and to have the experience of, of being where Jesus was. And they were part of a group. And a part of that group was, happened to be... Um, the, the mother and, and the mother-in-law of this older couple. And so they went, and while they were there, the mother-in-law actually passed away. She died. And, uh, and so they had to figure out logistics, and, and the, the, the state came and helped them and, and basically laid out two plans for them. It's, they said, look, you have two options. For $200, we can bury her here. We can have a ceremony. It'll be a beautiful thing and a great experience. 
or it's going to cost about $5,000 to transport her body back to the States. They were from America, they were from here. And the husband thought about it, and because uh, his wife was kind of a wreck, and he said, no, uh, uh, we'll take her back. We're going to take her back, and, and uh, we'll fly her back. And the guy says, really? Just for only $200, she could stay here, and we'll have, a, we'll have a beautiful ceremony. She'll be buried in the Holy Land. What a gift that is. And he said, sir, 2,000 years ago, a man was buried here. Three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. If you have your Bibles, open to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. For, for whatever reason, um, I know this is Resurrection Sunday, but I, I'm going to sit with, with a portion of Scripture that I haven't really heard, heard talked about, and as I sat and kind of asked the Lord, what is it you want me to talk about? I felt like this was the passage. And so um, this is the death of, of Christ, and we're going to talk about both the death and the resurrection of Jesus this morning, because um, both are absolutely crucial and essential to the faith and our understanding, but I think there's something here that God wants to teach us in this portion of scripture. So we're going we're gonna to get to it in just a minute, um, and we'll put it up on the screen too if you don't have your Bibles, but that's where we're going to be. But I, I want to share this with you this morning. God paid such a great price because he believes in you, because he has faith in you and who you are and what you will become. And it's important that we hear that this morning. If you don't hear anything else from me this morning, hear that. Hear that truth. That, that Jesus hung on the cross willingly for you. Because of your, your great value and how God values you. And cherishes you. And longs to be in a re- relationship with you and connected with you. That's why. And so this morning as we talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it's important that we, we realize these things. Because at the resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus, there was a, a cosmic shift in the reality of space and time. It was a massive thing that took place. It wasn't that, that just that Jesus went to the cross for the forgiveness of our individual sins, right? And that might sound confusing, but think about it. Jesus forgave sins before he went to the cross. So on an individual level of us individually, that, that wasn't it. It was a much greater thing that was taking place. When Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. There was a massive undertaking that happened. There was a shift that went. See, when, when, when Jesus nailed himself to the cross, or allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, the two realities, these two kingdoms, came in conflict with each other. When Jesus came into the world, these two kingdoms came in conflict with each other. And you see in the life of Christ that every time he reaches out, and every time he, he brings the, the healing touch of God and the power of the Holy Spirit into the world in different places through healing and through dealing with demonic oppression, all those things, those kingdoms are colliding with each other. And at the cross was the ultimate collision of those two kingdoms coming together. And so many different things happened in that moment that, that we don't even realize. And the cross became the place where humanity and divinity would come together. And the invitation for humanity and divinity to be one came together. That's what Jesus embodied. That's who he was. He was both humanity and divinity in perfect harmony and unity in one. And at the death and resurrection of Jesus, he invites humanity, us as people of God, to live in the exact same way. 
And the currency for that is faith. The currency to experience the kingdom of God is faith. It's a faith in the belief that we have in Jesus as the resurrected God. And that transforms us and it moves us. Romans 10, 9 through 10, John brought this up in the kids' message. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Faith is something that that flows through the heart. It's not a head thing. If you're sitting here trying to figure it out, you're never going to figure it out. God is mystery in so many levels and so many ways. And the invitation for us is a a step of faith. It's it's stepping out into a place that doesn't make sense and and doesn't always line up. And and after we give our lives to Christ through our heart and our profession of, of our mouth, then our minds have to come around. That's why Jesus talks about the renewed mind and Paul talks about the renewed mind and how crucial and essential it is. Those things essentially need to line up with one another. And if they don't, we just kind of live a faith that is, is, not, is suboptimal. It's not fully living out what God intended us to do and to be. But that's the invitation for us to reflect. Paul talked about this kingdom, and he said the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in Romans 10. So it's not this physical thing that's tangible and right in front of us. It's, it's a spiritual realm, but the spiritual realm oftentimes crosses over and begins to penetrate into our world, and we see it in visible experiences, and we've had those experiences as a church community, and maybe even this morning we'll have more. But the cross itself is an affront to the attempt of human beings and how we've chosen to run things, and how we've chosen to operate, because we operate in dominance and superiority. And at the cross, we begin to realize that the way forward the way, the path of Jesus is actually the path of descent. It's a letting go, it's a laying down, it's a surrendering. And that's what Jesus models for us. And again, that's what we are being invited to, to live out in our own lives. Because at the cross, we gaze at the face of an unending love. The cross is where humanity and divinity come together in a clash of realities. That one appears to be fading and dying, and the other dominant in power and authority appears to be winning from, from the outside perspective. But the end result takes place in the quiet darkness of a tomb where the real power exists, behind the scenes where nobody's watching. And in that place, resurrection life comes forward. And that's like what the kingdom of God is. Oftentimes the kingdom of God is not something we tangibly see. And yet that's what requires faith and belief in God. And that's what we're invited into. But this love is ultimately unconquerable and cannot be defeated. And the more you fight against it, the greater it becomes. And its purpose is to restore you back to the original intent that God had for you. That's what happens at the cross. You're restored and made right through belief in Christ. See, God had these plans for humanity, and these plans got got veered in the garden with Adam and Eve. And so a restoration plan was made even before the beginning of time. And the cross is the pinnacle of that moment where those, those two intersections come into play, where, where literally the spiritual realm and, and the human realm cross each other, and death is defeated with sin as well at that place. But there's, there's something that happened. There's, there's three things that happen that I want to talk about. There's actually four things that happen. At noon, the, 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 there's darkness over the land. I'm not going to get into that. 
But after Jesus dies, three miraculous things take place. And I want to go through each of those things, and I think that there's, there's something for us in those, and I want to talk about this, those this morning and how they relate to us. So in Matthew 27, verse 50, it says this, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So at this point, Jesus is, is now dead. Verse 51, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So the death of Jesus actually begins a train, chain reaction. I always thought in my head that it was, it was after the resurrection that everything just started to happen and go. Because the resurrection is, is the affirmation of the conquering of sin and death. But even in, in Jesus' death, even when, when God dies and lays his life down for humanity, things begin to happen. And I believe these things are a direct um, display of God's power and authority over death and sin. When miraculous things happen in life, and I believe they still continue to happen, the purpose of these miracles is actually to invite us to see and understand how God sees and understands. It's exactly what, what Jess's image was with, with the, the movement of God coming in and our eyes being transformed. That's what happens. That's what the miraculous does. So miracles teach us how to see the way God sees because that's how God sees. We call them miracles because they're different. God doesn't see them as miracles. He just sees them as, as life and the way things should be and function. So to understand and to see the way God sees is the invitation. And I think that each time these things happen in the text and those who, who are experiencing these things um, experience the power of God and the authority of God and the conquering of sin and death. So the first thing that happens is the curtain is supernaturally torn in two. The second thing that happens is the earth shakes. <clears throat> and the third thing that happens is that people are raised from the dead. And here's the powerful thing that's, that's we don't usually grasp this. And I heard somebody talk about this a couple of weeks ago and it just stuck with me and I wanted to make sure that I said it here this morning. In Romans 6, 5, it says this, For if we have been united with him in, in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So when Christ hung on the cross, when Christ died, you died with him. And just in the same way when Christ was raised from the dead, so were you raised from the dead. See, the death of Christ doesn't take death away from us, it actually gives our life and death meaning and purpose. Because before that, we don't have meaning and purpose in life. We chase around whatever we chase around, and, and we try to fulfill ourselves with a great many things. And if you sit down and talk to somebody who doesn't have faith in Christ, when they get to a point where they're, they're tired of chasing it around, it usually takes until you get to your 50s, they'll sit down and be honest, and you'll say, whether it's, it's wealthy or poor, they'll say, I... I've chased after many things, but nothing has been satisfying and fulfilling. Well, that's the point, because we were designed and created, like Augustine said, with a God-shaped vacuum inside of us that only a relationship with Jesus can fill. But that was made possible, that relationship was made possible at the cross with the death and resurrection of Christ. So the temple is torn in two. Okay? I want you to get a perspective of this, the, the temple curtain. Um, 
Anybody, any engineers have any idea how tall the ceiling is? If you had to guess, what would you say? 40 feet? 45. All right. 45 feet. The temple curtain itself, according to Josephus, Josephus was a, a historian. Um, he was a Jewish man who was a historian, and Josephus actually wrote a bunch of things down. We still have it today. You can probably look up his work online. It's so old that it's probably free. But the Romans actually, um, when they took over uh, Israel, Josephus was, was kept alive so he could write down the history of the Jews. And Josephus writes about the temple before, I can't, I can't remember if it was before or after it was destroyed, but he, he was alive to experience it, and he said that the temple curtain itself was 60 feet high. Imagine that. So, so that's 45 feet. That's not even the top of the temple curtain. Okay? And then he said it was 30 feet wide. It's probably about the size of this room, maybe. Yeah. We can have somebody pace it off. I, I meant to do that, but I forgot. So let's just say it's 30 feet. So higher than this building and 30 feet wide was the temple curtain. Okay? Josephus also said if you tied horses to it and you had them walk in different directions, it was so heavy they couldn't move it. That's how heavy this curtain is. And he also said that it, it was about the thickness of a man's hand. So approximately four inches. Okay? So imagine four inches by 60 by 30. What do you think that thing weighed? Yeah. The historian said it would take 300 priests to move it and manipulate it. 300. And they did that one time a year at Yom Kippur, the day of covering, where only the, the, um, the high priest in the line of Aaron was allowed to go back there. So I'll show you a, a picture of the temple, okay, so you get an understanding. So this is the temple, that's the outer courts, and, and the farther you get in, the idea was the, the, the more intense it became and the holier it became. Well, the back end is, is called the most holy place, or where the holy of holies was. That's where the temple curtain was. So that spot that circled there, that opening, is 30 feet wide and, and more than 60 feet high. Just to give you an idea of what that was like. In that place was, was the Shekinah glory of God. The Ark of the Covenant rested there, and, and the, the presence of God rested there. He said, my presence will be with my people. That's where the presence of God rested. And so the curtain actually functioned to keep people out and to keep that presence, like, covered. So probably it wouldn't destroy things and, and, and who, knows, do, who knows what. Um, and and they, they tell us also that when the high priest would go in once a year for the Day of Atonement, the Day of Covering, they would actually tie a rope around his leg and he would walk in there because if something happened or he brought you know, sin in his life or whatever it was, and he was struck down. Nobody wanted to go in there and get him, so they would pull him out. So literally, this is the most holy place in, in, for the, the Hebrew people, for the Israelites, in, in all of their understanding. That's where the presence of God dwelled, and that's where the curtain covered. So the cover, curtain covered that place. But really what the curtain symbolized in that time was a religious system. And in this religious system, God had given them this, this system to, to worship him and to function. But as human beings do, they twisted it and it became bent and unhealthy. So by the time that Jesus appears on the scene, that's why he's frustrated and that's why he clears the temple. Because he's angry at what he sees and how people have twisted this system. But in this system, there, there was an understanding. And this understanding was more about codes and rules and regulations that needed to be followed. 
They were concerned with performance at the time, and being right is more important. The theology and doctrine is viewed as the ultimate place to be, and they were satisfied with that over a personal encounter with God. And only a select few have power and authority in that system. Those who run the temple and make decisions. And the temple is the ultimate place where you can experience God and the only place. And that's why people had such a hard time with Jesus. When Jesus was out healing people and forgiving sins, those things should only be happening in the temple. And he would do those things outside the temple and and people would get ticked. But this system has all the answers. It alienates instead of includes. It builds walls to protect who is in and who is out. But this is the system that God gave to people who had hard hearts and they didn't have the Holy Spirit to lead them and guide them. And so they didn't do ideally well with this system. And when the temple curtain is torn in two, something radically is happening. And as you know, based on its dimensions and its size and its weight, you know only God could do something like that. It was a supernatural, miraculous work of God that took place in that moment, and at the time that Jesus died, most of us don't think of this, the temple system was, was in full effect, and it was running, and actually, at the moment he died, the sacred sacrifice of the day was happening, and so they would have been at the altar, sacrificing a, a pure, spotless lamb, and so they would have known that that temple curtain was torn, and who knows how loud that would have been, but in that moment is a shift where God is saying, no, instead of religion, relationship is now going to dominate the atmosphere of how I'm going to to connect with my people. And in relationship, it's about love and connection and intimacy. It's about integrating whatever we learn into our daily lives. It's not just about the knowing. It's not just about the, the, the understanding of God's word. It's a living out of God's word. I would rather you know less of what God's word has to say, but live out everything you know than know a lot and don't do anything with your life. It's about a a movement that expands and does not decline. It's an element of chaos that runs wild because the spirit blows where it wills. It's a space that holds and carries wisdom and paradox and mystery. And there's a great openness to let this God of love outside its walls. It's willing to take risks and fully trust God. And it wants to have an openness to grow. When the curtain was torn, that's what broke forth into the world. That's what God always wanted to happen. God always wanted to be about relationship. He wasn't about religion first and then relationship. He was always about relationship. But, that, but he, it was taken and formed into this religious practice. And, and not that religion is bad and relationship is good, but religion can easily be twisted and manipulated. And if we don't live out our faith and we just see it as a, a list of rules and it remains simply a religious institution and, and things we just follow and go through, but it should transform and change our lives. On, on every level of, of our being, our mind, our soul, our hearts, everything has to be transformed and changed. And so when the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, Matthew was effectively saying that this system is no longer needed. That a new way of experiencing and understanding God is now upon us. And this is something that every follower of Jesus is invited into. A surrender into relationship, into intimacy, into risk into faith, and into belief. The second thing that happened is that the earth shook and the rocks split. So essentially this earthquake happened. You guys don't really know what those are. I grew up in a place that has earthquakes on the west west side of this country. 
And uh, I remember coming here, and I think for the first 10 years that, that we were here, I remember every, like, August, we'd have to run down to our basement and hunker down, because you guys have, you don't have earthquakes, but you have other things that go on. So you turn the TV on, and you watch the weather channel, and you wait for it to pass over. But literally, like, all of a sudden, we'd be outside, and the, it would turn dark and, like, purple. And you'd be like, oh, got to go inside. And my, my sister, my older sister, would come and visit us. And, uh, and she would be like, what is happening? I was like, oh, time to go to the basement. We're going to hang out down there for who knows how long. And so you, you guys have those things here. But growing up as a kid, I remember several times, about four times, um, I remember when I was eight years old. Uh, it was probably the, the morning that John Reed came to faith. <laughs> and uh, I was in my room, and, and I had parents that said that we had to clean up our room before we went to school. So I was up cleaning up my room, putting away my toys. And all of a sudden, the, the room started moving and shaking. And I was like, oh, because we have earthquake drills out on the West Coast. You guys have other things, but we have earthquake drills. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I was old enough to know what was going on and aware. And, and literally, I'm moving to my doorway, because that's where they tell you to go away from windows and, and to the doorways, the structurally sound parts of, of your home. And it was like this, you know, you're like moving around. But as an eight-year-old, you're like, this is cool, you know, because your room was like moving around. But, man, earth, I mean, I remember also, uh, how many of you guys remember the... the um, earthquake during the World Series. If Mike Chabilski was here, he'd remember. When the A's and the Giants were playing each other. Well, my grandparents lived in San Francisco. Both sets of my grandparents lived up there, and so that was a, a very scary and chaotic time because we couldn't get a hold of them for, for a period. But earthquakes are, are things that still continue to happen. But there's a perspective on earthquakes in the scriptures that God actually gave to the prophets. And I want to share some of these with you because I, I think that's what's going on here in this scene when, when Jesus is, gives up his life. In Isaiah 24, it says this, The floodgates of the heavens are open. The foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is violently shaken. The earth reels with, like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls never to rise again. In that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings of the earth below. So Isaiah understood that when the earth shook, there was actually a response of the earth to what was taking place. And he said, when that happens, then God's judgment is coming. And the judgment is upon the, the demonic powers, essentially what he calls the powers in the heavens. Obviously, that's not the angelic host, so that's the demonic powers. And also the human oppressors of the earth are being judged in that time. Zechariah said, um, in Zechariah 14, he equates the earthquake with the coming of the Lord. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel prophesies, and the earth shook, and the dry bones began to come together, and new life came forward. So there's this image of, of when the earth shakes, that something is happening. That there's a fundamental shift in what's going on in the earth. And there's, there's something about the earth. Obviously, it's, it's alive. And Paul talks about the earth as, as, as having responses in strange ways. In Romans uh, 8, he talks about this in 8.19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So creation itself, life around us, is waiting in eager anticipation for all of us to wake up and realize who we are. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hopes that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
So literally, I wonder sometimes if creation gets it more than we do about the presence and the glory of God. <clears throat> but in this moment, creation reacts, and the power of God is put on display, and the earth literally shakes at the death of Christ. Not at the resurrection, but at the death of Christ. And it signifies the power of God being on display, the judgment against the heavenly enemies of God, and new life is being brought forth, is what the prophets tell us takes place when the earth shakes in that way. That was the understanding. That's the second thing. The third thing is that tombs were emptied, the scriptures say, at the death of Jesus. So we go from, from Golgotha, the hill of the skull, which is actually on the opposite side of the city of Jerusalem. We go into the, uh, the temple area, which is in the center, and the curtain is torn in two. And then we go to the far side, where the earth is shaking. Then we go to the far side of, of where the, the crucifixion most likely took place. They don't know exactly where it took place, but they have an idea. And on that far side of the city, the opposite side of the city, is actually where the tombs are. And those tombs, that, that graveyard, um, is the same graveyard that Jesus would have walked through at some point, which is just mind-blowing. It's thousands of years old. Okay? And very right next to that graveyard is actually Gethsemane, to the left of it. So you have, you have Jerusalem, the city, Golgotha's on this side, and then on this side of the city is, is the graveyard and, and Gethsemane on, on those places. And, it's, and, it, and uh, here's the interesting thing. We probably know this, but just as a reminder, when Jesus was alive, he resurrected three people. Right? We hear about Lazarus, that's kind of the most famous story, dead the longest, but he also resurrected Jairus' daughter in Luke 8 and the widow of Nain's son in Luke 7. But at his death, he resurrects an untold amount of Old Testament people. We have no idea how many. And they kind of hang out, and then when Jesus is, is raised from the dead on the third day, on Sunday, which is why we worship on Sunday, they all decide that they're going to go into the city and hang out. They probably want to be like, I wonder what it's like. Haven't seen it for a while. And so they go, I mean, I can't even imagine what it would have been like for people to see them or if people recognized him. And then Jesus came, came back and he had this experience with Mary at the tomb um, after his resurrection. And I wonder if he, you know, he's like, hey, we got to go. We're going up. This is not where we're hanging out. And took the rest of them with him. But this beautiful, powerful example of resurrection takes place. At Jesus' death, it released a power so significant that it resurrected people from the dead who had been dead for quite a while. These people wandered into the city we read about and had this experience. Ezekiel 37 tells us this as well. He says, Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. So right there, Ezekiel's telling us that when graves are opened, God is revealing himself to humanity. And so anybody who would have understood the prophets or have read the prophets would have seen these three different signs and recognized them as the act of God being put on display. Powerful things that we're invited to sit with and begin to understand and see because resurrection itself is the ultimate sign of the defeat of sin and death. And eventually on the third day, Jesus rises from the dead. The resurrected life is everywhere, and it's free for the taking. Resurrection is grace, is the grace of God taken to its logical position. We see the power that is raised when Jesus dies. 
We are invited to, into that space, into relationship with God, into a recognition that who Jesus said he was, he actually was. And that same power that brought Jesus back from the dead lives in us. What I want to do now, and just kind of end what I want to share with you this morning, is, and then we're going to sing one more song, is I want to invite you to stand <clears throat> right now. And I'm going to put uh, a slide up that has these truths of what are true of, of us as of those who believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because of his death and resurrection, these things are true. We are a new creation. We are brought from death into life. We are rescued from darkness into light. We are purified from all sins. We are redeemed. And because of what Jesus did, we can enter into the presence of God because the curtain has been torn. There's nothing between us and the Lord. And so what I want to do right now is I want to pray over you these things. And after I finish praying, what I want you to do is I want you to ask, Holy Spirit, which of these truths do I need spoken over me this morning? Which of these truths do I need to hear right now? Which do I need to sit with? Which do I need to, to be reconciled with? Which of these truths maybe do I struggle with, but I need to allow it to penetrate my heart and to transform my mind? And then I'm going to give you a space just to sit with the Lord and ask that in prayer and then <clears throat> spend time with God and then eventually we'll, we'll sing together. And if you just need to, to <clears throat> spend the rest of the time just in prayer, that's fine. And what I want to do is I want to ask the prayer team to, to make themselves available one last time and just stand around the outside of, of the sanctuary. And if you feel after your time of prayer, if you feel like you need to go and, and just be prayed over or even take one of these, these truths and ask somebody on the prayer team to pray those truths over you, go ahead and do that. Or if you need to turn to the person to your right or left and say, would you pray over me and remind me that I'm redeemed? Would you remind me that I am purified from all my sins. Would you remind me that I'm rescued from darkness and brought into the light? I want to invite you just to receive. Hold out your hands and receive the truth of what God wants to speak over you. Father, I thank you for your love for us, displayed in Jesus' death and resurrection. say in your word, if that didn't happen, then we are all fools. But we see right in the death of Christ, the manifest presence and power of God is put on display to confirm, even before the resurrection, that you are moving and in that place in a powerful and mighty way, that you removed all the obstacles, the curtain has been torn down and we have access to you, Lord. You shook the earth powerful and mighty way so people would know that your power was on display and the enemies of God were, were being judged in that moment. And finally, Lord, even before the resurrection of Christ, people were resurrected to show the power of the blood of Christ. And Because of that, as people of God, we are redeemed and set free. So I speak these truths over you and then I invite you to spend time just between you and the Lord and ask Holy Spirit, which of these truths do I need to hear this morning? You are a new creation. You are brought from death into life. You are
are rescued from darkness into light. You are purified from all sins. You are redeemed and made right. And you can enter into the presence of God. If there's anyone here in this room that hasn't said yes to Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now before we go into a time of prayer. Just repeat to yourself, Father, I need you. I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. Jesus, would you come into my life? I believe you are Lord and Savior. And I thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you that you have loved me, and you receive me forgive my sins. And I ask for your presence and your spirit to come upon me now. In Jesus' name. Take a moment right now with the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit, which of these truths do you need spoken over you? Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.